We're in a series that uh, one more week we're going to do on this called Pay It Forward. The Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. And we've been talking to you about certain areas and blessings that God has brought in our life that we need to pay forward. We first talked about forgiveness. How many glad that God's forgiven you? And he said, forgive as you have been forgiven. And then we talked about friendship and explained what it was and what it's not. And then last Sunday, we talked about compassion. And today, I want to talk about this word that we throw out there pretty easy and often, but do we really understand what it means? And it's called the word love. And uh, how many's glad that God first loved us? Amen. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That he loved us before we could love him in return. And I want to talk to you. Let's go right to the text. It's a scripture that we used last Sunday. And it says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, how I many glad you're loved by God, clothe yourself, and he talks about some virtues that we as Christians who have already experienced the love of God in our life should have. He said, clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. And forgive one another if any of you have grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And here's our really the meat of the text for today's message. And over all of these virtues, he said, above all these other virtues that we've mentioned, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So God's saying he wants us to have these virtues in our life, but Without the love of God in our heart, we get to buffet which one we want. Like I'll be compassionate to whoever I want to, I'll kind to whoever. But when you let the love of God come into our life, we don't pick which virtue we use with which person. They're available to everyone because as Christ loved us, we're going to love the world. And so the definition of love is very simple. It's a feeling of a strong or constant affection for another person is really not a complicated word, but how many's found out loving people can sometimes become complicated? And we throw that word out so easily, I love you, but do we understand what we're really saying? I'm, I'm always reading and finding new things, and I, I just pulled out three quotes about love that I found this week. One says, the more you know about yourself, the less judgmental you become to others. Pretty good, huh? Love is donating a chunk of your life to patch up holes in the life of another. Last one, you can never be poor by giving and showing love to others. And so I want to talk today. This is a, a different kind of message. I'm going to use some very large words that I don't normally do. They're going to be on the screen so I can explain them to you. Uh, I slept about an hour and a half last night at max uh, over this message because this is a risky one. But I hope you'll receive God's word today and let it change our lives. Because how many besides me still got some changing to do? Amen? All right? Because I want to talk today because this word love is being thrown around today. And then it's been used in reverse to say, well, if you're a Christian or you're walking in love, how do you feel that way or how can you act that way or whatever? I don't want to talk to you for a few minutes about theology and tolerance. Theology and tolerance. Because across the nation today, we witness Christian men, women, and children being persecuted, being tortured, being murdered in most gruesome and inhumane ways. As Americans, we have witnessed our nation regress into a people of hostility, hatred, and pure evil. Issues such as racism, bigotry, violence, 
feel our media, our neighborhood, our schools, and our streets. We see that we're thrust into issues such as sexual identity, homosexuality, transgender identity, same-sex marriage, abortion, the nation of Israel, Black Lives Matters movement, white supremacy groups, political parties, religious platforms, all becoming breeding grounds for evil, hatred, and judgment and that brings division amongst our people on all sides. So stay with me. But you see, as I said last Sunday, God addressed and put mankind in two groups only. Throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, you will find this, that God dealt with Jews or Gentiles, which represented, the Jews represented those that had found a new life in Christ, and the Gentiles represent those who have yet to find that experience. God never addressed man based on his color or his culture, but always by the condition of his heart. And so anytime we represent a people or say my people or a people based on a color or a culture, we have removed ourselves from the Great Commission and we're now fulfilling our own personal agendas. You see, when addressing the issue of love, how are we as Christians supposed to respond to the above mentioned, the issues that I talked about facing us today, how are we supposed to respond? How are we to respond to non-believers who accuse us as Christians of having no tolerance and being hateful to the people who support lifestyles that go contrary to the principles of our faith? And I'm going to use some resources, some are my own, some are some of the scholars and theologians that I greatly enjoy listening to and reading and pulling from some of them. And, and, and you'd be surprised, but when I'm in my vehicle, most of the time there's nothing playing because I just like a few quiet moments in life. And, and other times, it's, if, it's not, if it's not quiet, it's teaching, it's preaching that I listen to worship at home and, and other places. But when I'm alone, I want to hear the word. I want to hear what God is saying to feed myself, to better feed you. But I want to talk to you today starting off on this theology versus this thing of tolerance. You see, there's three areas of concern that must be addressed. Get your notes out. It's going to be a little bit different here at the beginning, so just stay with me. But we're going to go somewhere today. Amen? You ready to go there? Because there's three areas of concern when addressing this issue. Number one is the logical concern. And that's common sense issues. Just you don't need the Bible. You don't need the book. You don't even have to pray about it. Just common sense tells you that's the thing to do or not to do. But then there's theological concerns, and that's where biblical principles of faith come in. It's absolute. It is the word of God. It's infallible, and it cannot be changed or adjusted. Theological concerns. But then there's relational concerns that says this is how we as Christians must communicate our theological beliefs, and our logical common sense thinking. That we have to deal with those three concerns if we're going to be effective in our witness in a society that has as many questions as this one we're living in today. And so first of all, let's break it down. Logical concerns. Because in addressing any issue of society, one must first identify what type of culture are you and I living in because culture trumps everything. You can do the right thing in a wrong culture and it not work. But you can do something bad, not good, in a good culture and it'll produce. 
because culture trumps everything. So to deal with the issues of love today and deal with the issues that we're facing in society that is dividing so many in our society, we must first identify what type of culture are we living in. There's three types of culture. Get your notes out. They're big words, but I'm gonna explain them to you. The first one is the theonomous culture. Told you they're big ones. The theonomous culture, and this is a culture governed by God, totally subject to God's authority. Every person in society holds to the same moral values. Now, wouldn't that be wonderful? That's called heaven, okay? Don't look for that until you get there, all right? Or you will go crazy. The, the second culture is the heteronymous culture, and this is where the mainstream of the culture is directed by leadership only at the top. It operates on a dictatorship. A prime example of that is Islamic countries in, in the Middle East where they are governed by a mullah or a sheik where they make every decision for the people. They tell them what food they can eat, when they can eat, who they can be around, who they can see. Everything is dictated by a person of a religious power or position and is run by total dictatorship. The people have absolutely no say so in the matter. Then there's the third culture, the autonomous culture, where self-law is governed or people are governed by self-law. Each person determines their own individual moral prerogative. And out of the three cultures, America is governed by the autonomous culture. That is the culture that we live in today where every person has the prerogative to determine their own moral values and their own principles of life. We cannot go any further until we identify that as being the culture that you and I live in. The danger of an autonomous culture lies in the issue of equal or unequal tolerance. Both sides must be willing to give equal rights to live and express their personal convictions without retaliation. That I have my personal convictions as a Christian, I have my biblical convictions as a believer and follower of Jesus, other people have their own personal convictions, and I must give them the right to have theirs, and equally they must give me the right to have mine, and neither one of us accuse the other one of not being tolerant. Are you with me? Because when one uh, retaliates, they immediately switch to a heteronymous culture a culture that attempts to dictate what others must believe. And we take away the right of the autonomous culture. Thus, two cultures now attempt to exist in the same society, and that's totally impossible. The results are always the same, hatred, division, and hostility as we see taking place across our nation today. Number two is the theological concerns facing the autonomous culture. The question that often arises is how are Christians generally standing against the issue of racism, but when it comes to homosexuality or sexual identity, they discriminate against others. How do we as Christians justify that? The question is asked. The issue of racism is an idea based on a race of a people, while the issue of homosexuality or sexual identity focuses on an individual based on their personal ideas or their personal actions. The reason that Christians believe that discrimination ethnically and racially is wrong is because the race of a person is sacred. One is never to violate a person's race as it is a sacred gift from God. 
We as Christians also believe that sexuality is equally sacred as a biblical mandate, the consummation of a relationship between a man and a woman. That is the biblical teaching that God gives us. Thus, we as Christians treat each other with equal respect and the fear of God in obedience to his word. The Bible tells us that marriage is the sacred relationship that one can enter. There is no relationship more sacred than that of marriage. Love is given one word in the English, but in the Greek and the word of God is given in four words. And here they are in your notes. There's four types of love. There's the agape love. That's God's love. And nobody can love God's love. You can't do that. I can't do that. Only God can love that he loves us so much that he gave his only forgotten son. God's love, agape love. But then there's eros love. That's romantic love or sexual love. Then there's phileo love. That's friendship love. And then there's storage love, which is parental love. And all four of these come together because biblical marriage between a man and a woman is the only institution in life that pulls all four types of these loves together. The only one. And God has designed that as a way to procreate, to replenish the earth. In Matthew 19, four and five, that at the beginning God made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife and they too will become one flesh. The theological and biblical consummation of marriage between a man and a woman is a procreative act that is sacred before God. Any departure from the sacredness of biblical marriage and its procreative design of producing new life, the family unit, is not right and it's not acceptable in the eyes of God. Anyone and anything that opposes this is attacking the author of the Bible, not the people that's following it. But then it brings us to the message of today. Are y'all still with me? It brings us to the message of today on the relational concerns facing the autonomous culture, and this is where we are today. You see, how we communicate and how we express ourselves to those who oppose our beliefs really do matter. How we as Christians supposed to respond to those whose beliefs and lifestyles go contrary to our Christian faith? We as Christians are to accept people as they are with love and a genuineness regardless of how their view in life is different from ours. That, that God didn't ask me to be the judge, he asked me to be the vessel that would point mankind to him. And that my job as a Christian is to understand the biblical principles of God's word and then understand that we're an autonomous culture. Every person has the right to have their own principles and their own beliefs. They have a right to do that. My responsibility as a Christian is to love them wherever they are in life, whatever decision and choices that they choose to make. But here's what I want you to understand. As human beings, we must understand another key absolute. 
And that is that God gives each of us the most sacred gift in the prerogative of choice, that, that God gives you and I the ability today to choose whatever direction we decide to take our life in. He gives you ability to choose. He gives me ability to choose. I choose my convictions according to the word of God. He said, let every man work out his own salvation. You choose yours, I choose mine. He gives us the opportunity of choice, but God will not give us the opportunity or, or privilege of determining the outcome of the choices that we make. They've already been decided by the word of God. Thank you. Are you with me? We're going somewhere. You see, my, my responsibility as a Christian is to love you no matter what decisions you're making in life. The responsibility and the consequences of those decisions have already been made. My job is to love you out of them. That's worth coming to church for right there. You see, the consequences are bound to the choice. There's no escaping them. There's no changing them. No matter what man says, no matter what laws man make, God's law trumps them all. And we've got to come and realize today, when we look at sacred issues such as sexuality, traditional marriage, same-sex marriage, transgender identity, any change from a biblical point of view is a departure from the biblical mandate given by God. At the same time, the same Bible commands that we are to love. Even those who disagree with us. Our responsibility as Christians and as the church is to never hate or judge an individual. Our privilege is to love everyone. And that's one of the things I love about this church is because every person that we mention, every characteristic we talked about up there attends this church. And they come here because they feel loved. I come here because I feel loved. You come here, I hope, because you feel loved. And we come here because there's something drawing us to a person called Christ. It's called the love of God. And when we pass it forward, it brings an invite to people that says we're not a, we're not a club, we're a hospital. And whosoever will, come and find the healing and the life-giving presence of Jesus. You see, only God can change the heart of a person and God is the ultimate judge. We're simply called to be salt and light through loving each other and allowing God to be the only eternal judge. John 1:14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, I love this, the glory of the one and only son. And here's the part I want you to get today, who came from the Father, Jesus came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Because either one of those by themselves is ineffective. Truth without grace produces a law that's judgmental and nobody can live. Grace without truth has no power behind it to bring change. But when I offer truth with grace, the love of God, I now have a commingling of God's presence, the power of his word, the anointing of his spirit that now can change and transform a life. 
And so our role as Christians is that I don't have to agree with someone's lifestyle. I don't have to agree with how they're living their life. But inside of me, it's not even that I have to. I want to love you because I want to help you escape the consequences of that choice. And we have the love of God alive inside of us. You see, it brings us to the point of loving like Jesus because I believe that the church exists with a mission. James says, real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father is this, reach out to the homeless and loveless in their plight. You see, anyone who doesn't look, act, think, or live as us can easily be looked upon as the loveless, the hostile, or our enemies, rather than the victim of our enemy. And we've gotta keep things in perspective. I'm a firm believer that the local church is God's hope for the world. I said, I'm a firm believer that the local church is God's hope for the world. Christ alive inside of each one of us. If you're looking to the government for any other resource for your hope, you're looking in the wrong place. It's still only found in Jesus. And we must see the amazing opportunity that God has placed upon us here at Transformation Church, the impact of many lives that God is sending to us with the hope of Jesus. Three services, long Sundays here, much planning taking place. Many dream teamers required to make it work every Sunday. A high financial cost to do what we do, but we're watching many lives and many families truly be transformed every week because we're willing to say yes. We're willing to say yes to a thing called the Great Commission, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person, red, yellow, black, or white, straight, gay, bi, transgender, rich or poor. It doesn't matter. The Great Commission is all-inclusive, that whosoever will, let him come. And that's the only kind of church I want to be a part of. It's the true church of Jesus Christ that's embracing, inclusive, that says whosoever will, you don't have to be like me. Come on in. And together we're going to learn from each other, but we're going to love each other through it. Amen. That's what Jesus says living like Jesus looks like. You see, August, three years ago, I had to make a choice. I had to take a risk. Stay the same, be comfortable as a church and in life, or make a change. Take a risk as a church. Change our direction. Change our dynamics. Then we had one service with 150 people. Today, we don't have one service with 150. We have three services with five to 600. Over 80% of that growth are new converts in Jesus because we took a risk to say, let's go after the loss of this city. And anytime you go after the loss of the city, the sinners, the, the lost, the hurting will love you while the religious crowd hates you. And there's some of that going on. But you gotta to understand today, if you want a church where you can park right next to the front door, there's plenty in town that'll let you do that because there's not life-giving taking place on the inside. There's parking spots everywhere. But if you're gonna be a part of a church like this where God's gonna change lives every Sunday, where God's gonna transform lives, you may have to walk across a parking lot to get in, but isn't it worth the walk? I said, isn't it worth the walk? And we've got to come today and understand that a life-changing church requires people whose lives has been radically changed to understand the true opportunity and responsibility placed upon us to love and invest in the lives of others, even those that don't believe like we do. Because love calls us as Christians to be four things. Here they are, very quickly, get your notes out. Number one, 
The love of Christ calls us as Christians to reach them. Who's them? Anyone that doesn't know him yet. That we're called by Christ to reach the world. The greatest way to reach people is for you to first enjoy the life that you have. Have some fun. Be happy. Be joyful. Go to work tomorrow and look like the weird one. Because everybody's there with the weekend blues, you know, like, I had to come to work today. And you're coming in whistling and got some snapping going on and some smiling and some joy. And they're like, what got a hold of you, Jesus? Just got a little Jesus over the weekend. Got some joy. The greatest testimony you have is not your sermon, it's your life. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. And in the midst of a discouraged, despondent, and empty, and barren society, the greatest sermon you can bring tomorrow and this week on your job is just be joyful in Jesus. Love people where they are. 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Then in Romans 5, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, when we do ministry the way Jesus did it, as I said, the sinners will love us and the religious crowds will mock you. If, if you're new here and you hadn't heard it yet, it's in public media. We're called the Church of the Misfits. I call that a compliment. Because Jesus said he'll take the foolish things. Come on, Jackie, are you glad you're in this thing? <laughs> he said, I'll take the foolish things of the world and confound the wise. That qualifies me, man. Bunch of ex-drug addicts, alcoholics, prostitutes, homeless people, different colors, different cultures, different races, different backgrounds. Come under one roof to worship one God. <laughs> Call us what you want, but we're going to keep doing it. Those are reaching people. You see, Jesus had such words of love and life that the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the hurting, the broken, those that are seen by the worst of society wanted to be near him. The church, Christians, should be the closest thing to Jesus that the unbeliever ever sees on earth. I'm gonna say that one again. The church, Christians, we should be the closest thing to Jesus that the unbeliever ever gets to see on this earth. Christ alive. In us, the most important numbers to me on Monday and Tuesday, when they gather the numbers of our weekend, is not how many was in church on Sunday. That's important, but that's not what I asked for. It's not how big was the offering, how good, it was, how, what was that? That's not what I'm really interested in. I have two numbers that I want, and I look for every week, the first things I want. How many guests did we have, and how many of them committed their life to Christ? Because if those numbers are going up, the rest will take care of itself. Those are the numbers that matter. And I want to challenge you today. If, is your life reaching people for Christ? What are you doing with your time? How many people have come to church or accepted Christ because of you this year? How, how are you serving today to help someone else experience the love and the grace of Jesus in their life? Number two, we've got to warn them. Warn them. 
God gives us the gift of choice, but the outcome of the choice has already been determined by God's word. It cannot be changed or, or deleted. And that tells me then if I know that other people are living a lifestyle that goes contrary to the word of God, and I know that, and I know the outcome of that lifestyle, then by God's grace, I need to warn them. But I warn them in love, not judgment. Grace with truth. The wages of sin is still death. John 17, 19 says, and for their sake, I consecrate myself. Look what he said, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. For their sake, for their sake, I sanctify. You know what that word there means? Set apart. I set myself apart that they may be sanctified in truth. God wants us to set ourselves apart today and make up our mind that, that we're not gonna let the people that we love lose out on life, pay the consequences of their decisions, and eventually miss eternity with God because of bad choices. We're gonna interrupt that journey. Love, everybody look at me for one second. Love never intrudes. I said love never intrudes. Well, I don't want, that's none of my business. Yes, it is, eternity makes it my business. Well, I don't want to offend. Jesus' word offends me every day. It has to to make me better. I'm not talking about offend and hatred. There's a difference of offense in love and grace and in judgment and hatred. And we've got to warn people of the decisions and the outcome of them. Romans 2, 4 says, God's kindness leads you toward Repentance, and that's what we're saying. When we warn in love, the kindness that we present will lead others into the repentance that God desires to bring into their life. Number three is teach them. Jesus called 12 men to follow him, and eventually they became disciples and eventually Christians. But when he called them, they weren't Christians yet. They were fishermen and had different occupations, and, and he called them and just said, you, 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 throw that net down, come follow me. And then he sat down and he began to teach them. And in that teaching, he brought truth and revelation of truth in their life. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm always learning. I'm always, we're always, though we're teachers, we're always students. And, and what we've got to understand is that Life's experiences teach us how to deal with circumstances and with people in life. This became real to this church and, and the, when Katrina, Hurricane Katrina hit, and we had just signed a contract on a nursing home on 72nd Street. Many of you were with us at that time. And we were gonna start a drug program, a rehab center, and Katrina hit, and all of a sudden there were parking cars parked all over our parking lot from, from Louisiana, and parents were sleeping under the vehicle so the kids could sleep inside. People that had lost everything, red, yellow, black, or white, rich, poor, attorneys, homeless people, drug addicts, they were all there. And I called the owner and said, can we open up a shelter? And he said, yes. And so we had 84 rooms with nothing. No can of corn, no mattress, nothing, bare empty. But in nine months, we had over 360 people that we kept in that shelter that were affected by Katrina of all races, of all nationalities, people that were hurting, they lost everything in life. And over half a million dollars came through our hands and supplies and resources and cash from all over the nation and we never asked for a penny. God brought it in. But while we're reaching out in love, 
our city decided that they didn't want that shelter there. And, and on the news, this is what our commissioner or our county commissioner said. He said, we don't want that kind of people in our city. And they tried to shut us down. And I said, we're not shutting it down till every family in that place has a place to live. And by the grace of God, financially, we were able to put every family in that shelter in an apartment in different states where they had family. We paid their first two months rent and had them a job when they got there because of God and many people that volunteered. But I want you to go back because I'm talking about teaching them. I'm talking about loving because when they fought us, they had sheriffs park at the end of the street and they pulled over every person that left that shelter to see if they had a record. And they said, we don't want that kind in our church. I said, define kind to me, please. And when they did, I said, that's my whole church. We're already here before they got here. They pulled my children over, driving down regular roads and made them search their car just to, just to bring trauma, to, to say something. That's called injustice. And what I want to talk to you about just for a quick moment, though I understand the reason behind certain movements dealing with the issue of injustice, we must acknowledge that injustice is colorblind until we put color with it. It then becomes exclusive and becomes an act of injustice within itself. Anytime you focus on the injustice, injustice of one group only in society, you have now committed an equal injustice to all the others who face injustice but have no one speaking for them. And so my stand on injustice against a one group that becomes exclusive of other groups, that within itself becomes an injustice. And we're watching that happen all across our society today as we're pointing out the injustice on this, injustice on that one, and we wanna make that our focus today. But here's what I wanna to talk to you about on that today. You've gotta to come and understand, and the focus is only on one race or one group or one people. You simply deal with the symptoms of injustice, but you never cut out the root. Because injustice impacts every, per every person, all people. And any time we try to focus on standing against injustice against one group, it becomes exclusive and blocks out everybody else, and thus the issue becomes the group, not the injustice, and it breeds hatred, division, and animosity. And we've watched that happen. And I wanna tell you something, we're a church that's gonna stand up against injustice for everybody, equally. We're gonna be a voice, and I've been challenged by leaders in this city that why don't you join this? Why don't we hear you preaching on that? We listen to your take. You're not, you're not standing up. I said, and they try to make it a racial thing. And I go, my family's black. My staff's black, Asian, Filipino, Mexican. My trustees are three blacks. Two of them are spiritual sons and the other one's an armor bearer like I've never had before. My congregation's half black. You don't have a message to tell me. But I don't stand for one race. I stand for the people. And injustice, if you only deal with it in an exclusive manner, you don't kill the monster. You just bring a temporary relief. But I say, let's cut that dude's throat and let's get rid of it against everybody. Are you with me today? And, and, and as a people and as a church, we've determined that we're gonna stand for righteousness 
and we're also going to stand for injustice that we're going to stand for that person that's got a sexual identity crisis going on because there's some healing that needs to take place there. We're going to stand for that person that was wounded as a child and trying to find who they are today. We're going to fight for you. We're going to stand for that black person that's getting 10 times the sentence of what another person would get for the same crime. We're going to fight for you. We're going to stand for you. We're going to stand for injustice, but we're going to do it by learning, and we do it by learning when we learn to listen more than we talk. It's beautiful in eight o'clock service because we had three generations here of a black family that are family to me. Alan and Sherry Pons, I married them. Then I married her daughter, Shay, to Willie. And then just recently, I married Shay's daughter, Camry. Three generations sitting together in church with one pastor that's been their pastor for 23 years. What an honor. It's called relationships. She was a little girl that used to come and grab me around the knee, am I right? Now she's a married woman, wife, and my mother in my church. It's called relational. I'll die for her. She's one of my spiritual daughters. I'll fight for her. She belongs to me. You mess with her, you mess with me. You don't want that, because I got some big friends. I'm too old to fight, but they're young. What am I saying? I'm saying, TC, we're a church of love. I can't fix everybody's problem, but I can love you through it. I can teach you along the way. I can warn you of the consequences. And it brings us to the last point, and it ends the message today. Help them reach their full potential. Help them reach their full potential, because that's what Jesus is trying to do in me and in you today. He wants you to reach the full potential that he's called in your life, and many obstacles have come to stop that. And can I just tell you today, and everybody look at me for one second, you wanna know why there's so much confusion in society? You wanna know how the enemy's coming and attacking with all these identity crises and all of these things that are going on that are very, very real, so don't be so quick to judge. Some real issues, some very emotional issues taking place in people's lives. You wanna know why the enemy's doing all that? He wants to kill God's potential and the people that are in the struggle. He wants to kill God's plan. He wants to distract them with their pain and their misery and their sleepless nights and, and then deal with a judgmental church that they're looking for answers and they can't find anybody that'll just sit down and teach them and care about them and love them. My role today is not to try to fix you, it's try to bring something in life bigger than your problem and let Jesus bring the greatest potential that he has for you. Can I challenge us as a church today to be that church? Anybody in here willing to join me on that ride? That anybody in this city, they know there's a hospital, man. It's not a country club of Christians. It's a hospital of broken people that's being healed. We're not all there yet. It's a place where people are learning to talk and, and dialogue. And, and that's what I was going to say. I've learned from Carissa, though I'm her pastor, we've talked and she teaches me because she's in a different culture. I've talked to, to Drew. I've talked to Jonathan. I've talked to other people of a different culture because I need to learn from them. But can we let our differences develop us rather than divide us like the world? And listen, 
I listen to people struggling with sexual identities in our church. I sit with them and I cry with them. We pray together and we talk and life hadn't all changed yet, but it's going to because we're not going to quit. We're going to fight this battle until we win because you're worth it. And can I tell you today, what are you doing with your time? What are you doing with the love that God's already given to us? Let's don't be selective with it. Let's be free with it. Freely, you've received. Now freely, go give in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen on God's word today? Bow your heads with me. How many Christians, I want to talk to Christians first. How many Christians right now would say, Pastor, I've, I've been selective. I, I plead guilty today. Now, really, it's not even for me to hear. This is for you and God. You say, I've caught myself being judgmental. I've even caught myself with some attitudes toward people of different walks in life. And rather than pray for them, I've been judging them. Rather than reaching out to them, I've avoided them. But today, God's speaking to me, and I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to be a better person than that. I'm going to love like Jesus loved me. How many Christians were raising hands and say, that's me today? Come on, hands going up all over the building. You can put your hand down. How many here today, you would say, Pastor Dan, I'm not even at that point yet. I'm not there yet. I don't know Jesus today. I'm, I'm not a Christian yet. I'm not a believer yet. But wow, today I feel the love of God. I feel the love of people here today. And I want you just to pray for me, Pastor. I need Jesus in my life. Pray for me. If that's you right now, would you lift a hand right where you sit? And you can put it down. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? That's me today, Pastor. I need Jesus today. I want to start over. I want a fresh start with him today. Pray for me. Pray for me. Anyone else? Anyone else before we pray? Maybe on live stream, you need to make that decision today. You need Jesus in your heart. We want to pray for you today. Pray this prayer with me if you raise your hand or you did not. You need Jesus in your life. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you now. You said in your word, if I would just come to you, confess with my mouth that you are Lord. Believe in my heart you raised from the dead. I can be saved. Right now, Jesus, I come to you. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. I believe in my heart you raised from the dead and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, we give Jesus a praise for the hearts and lives today.